HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Brooklyn. But today, for me, I'm still in Alabama. I'm Kat Johnson, HRN's communications director, here with my co-host Katie Mosman Wadler, who is coming from Connecticut. I'm in Norwalk. Hey, Kat. It's nice Hello. to be back on hosting together. Yeah, long last. We also have Dylan, our special projects coordinator. Dylan, hello. Hello, calling in from Massachusetts. And we have our amazing engineer, Matt Patterson, who is back in the BK. Yeah, still Brooklyn for me. Brooklyn forever. And our guest today, we're super excited, is coming to us from Washington, Washington D.C. Our guest is Joe Yonan, the food and dining editor of the Washington Post. Welcome, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So, Joe, the first thing that I want to talk about with you is, I mean, this is a thing that happened that was weirdly, weirdly amazing timing, is that you published a cookbook, Cool Beans, in February of this year. And I mean, you couldn't have anticipated what was coming, but people just really were getting into beans already, and then pandemic happens, and beans are 
so important now in people's diets. So tell us about releasing the cookbook and then kind of what's happened since then. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Um, when the book came out, I already was really thrilled that we seemed to be having a so-called bean moment. Um, you know, a lot of people were talking about beans. There had been some pieces written about everybody's cooking beans now. I think partly because, you know, of a growing interest in plant-based eating and the Instant Pot and Rancho Gordo, the um, great bean producer in Napa, California. So all those things had sort of already come together. And I was getting a lot of, um, you know, a lot of great attention for the book. And then everyone got sent home from work and got told to stock up on groceries and started thinking about things that were shelf stable and could live there in their pantry to be grabbed at a moment's notice and give them all sorts of nutrition and variety. And what do you know? Everybody all at once realized that beans were the answer. Um, so yeah, it's been strange to, to see, um, in a way to see all the interest, but of course it's also been thrilling because I love, you know, just the thought that I'm in some small way, you know, able to give people some ideas about something that they might be new to, or might be, you know, might have some limited ideas about. So it's been, it's been great. I mean, you know, would I snap my fingers and um, make the whole pandemic never have happened in exchange for not you know, having this continued interest in beans. Yes, of course I would. Um, but here we are, here we are. And, and at least I'm, I'm glad to be of some help. Totally. And I mean, like I said, this was, this was a trend that was kind of taking off and I hate to use, even use the word trend because I mean, we're talking about beans, which right. are, <laughs> I mean, just a staple of so many diets. And, and I think what's, I mean, this is really not a trend from your perspective because you've been a vegetarian um, and, you know, have been writing about cooking vegetarian for a very long time. And when we were, when I met you at Chadwick Boyd's salon, you told like a really great story about kind of discovering the versatility of beans when you were in college. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that and like from a perspective of someone who's like been appreciating beans for a very long time? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in West Texas and we went out to eat at a lot of Tex-Mex restaurants um, very regularly, actually. Loved, loved them, still do. And I think growing up, I always thought of beans as part of beans and rice, you know, beans on the side of a plate of enchiladas or, um, or a chili relleno or um, whatever great dish I was eating. But, you know, then when I was in college in Austin... God, I was poor as the Dickens. Um, I was putting myself through school and I, you know, really had very little money to spend on food. And, you know, it was the, the one of those situations where, you know, I would go to the grocery store and, and the decisions would be, do I want to get another 10 packages of ramen noodles for 99 cents? Or might I want to splurge on a small piece of cheese? You know, it was that kind of thing. And beans very quickly became a go-to. You know, you, you really can't beat them for 
affordability. So, you know, certainly canned beans and they're on sale, but definitely got into cooking beans from dried because they're just, it was clear to me very early on that there was really no um, more affordable way to get something so satisfying and nutritious. I wasn't vegetarian back then. Um, you know, I certainly ate a lot of vegetables and have always eaten a lot of vegetables, but I also ate, you know, a good amount of meat. I mean, certainly when I was trying to make my dollar stretch, I was eating a lot less meat than I did later um, when I could afford it. But but yeah, that was when I started really realizing that beans could be the basis of a really healthy diet. And then when I moved toward a vegetarian diet about 12 years ago, you know, then a whole world opens up um, of beans, particularly after I discovered the beans of Rancho Gordo in California that I mentioned a little bit earlier. You know, they have these really beautiful heirloom varieties, and all of a sudden I started realizing that there were just a lot more beans out there than I even realized and that there were certainly a lot more things I could do with them. Um, so on that note, I think, you know, you have a lot of tips and tricks that you you're sharing through the cookbook that you've been sharing in Washington post. But I want to talk a little bit kind of about like where we are now and you, you wrote a note from the food editor um, titled, We're in this together, what do you need? Um, that was about three weeks ago. And I'm curious, um, what have you been hearing from people? What kind of questions are they asking? What are their thoughts and concerns about cooking as, they're, as we're kind of living through this shelter in place, stay at home period of time? Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to just reach directly out to readers and just let them know that we were listening and that we were sympathetic and that we were in the same boat that they were basically. Um, I mean, you know, I feel fortunate that, you know, I have a, a good job, a well-paying job that I didn't lose in the pandemic. Um, but you know, we're all stuck at home trying to figure out what to make and how to feed ourselves and how to keep it interesting. And, you know, we were just hearing a lot of different things from people piecemeal about what they wanted. And when I asked the question, what I, I think what I ended up getting back mostly was a plea for flexibility in recipes. So recipes that, you know, could handle a lot of substitutions. Certainly they asked for help with substitutions, you know, how to think about you know, what do I do if I don't have brown sugar? Um, what do I do if I don't have, you know, eggs, if I don't have yeast, if I, if I, you know, fall in love with this recipe for, you know, asparagus risotto and, you know, there's no uh, asparagus or short grain rice in the supermarket. Um, and so, and we've certainly responded with that. Like all of our regular recipe columnists, we're building in a lot more flexibility and, and specific um, ideas about um, alternate ingredients into our recipes. My recipes are like that. That's how I tend to cook anyway. Um, I don't always specify all of the options because sometimes it can almost feel 
I think, paralyzing to a reader who sometimes just wants to know, like, well, what do you think I should make? I mean, I know you're telling me that I could use any green, any grain, any spice, any oil, <laughs> but but what's going to be good, you know? So um, this was sort of a, a nudge to just get back to doing that more specifically. Um, so we've done a lot of primers on um, on substitutions. We've got one coming out tomorrow. Um, my main writer for the vertical that we started a couple years ago called Voraciously is a um, wonderful um, staffer of mine, Becky Crystal, who does most of the, she's the lead writer for Voraciously and she does a lot of the recipes. Um, and she's got a piece coming out tomorrow on, you know, how to make your yeast go further. So you, know, you want, you've, you've got some yeast, but you know, you're worried about whether you're gonna find it again. So what can you make or how can you think about baking in a way that lets you, you know, get the most out of it and last longer? And, you know, and one of the most obvious things that people who are really expert in bread baking realize, which is sort of the um, biggest tip in the piece, is there's, a, there's really a trade-off. When you're talking about instant yeast or dry active yeast, there's really a trade-off between the amount of yeast and the amount of time. So... If you want to make it stretch longer, you use less and you wait. So, <laughs> so we have that piece coming out tomorrow, um, and we're doing we're doing lots of other stories like that. I mean, certainly people are also, you know, they want specifics on. We've answered these questions, so this is really a few weeks old. But certainly, you know, is it safe to go to the supermarket? What should I be? what should I be doing when I go to stay safe? Um, you know, what about getting takeout and delivery? You know, what are the risks there? Um, and we've, and dining in, certainly, we've been covering a lot of those, um, of those stories. Um, so, so really just trying to, I think they just want guidance in how to, how to live and cook right now. Joe, how are you looking at some of those questions and where are you looking for answers as far as like what is safe as a shopper, as an eater, as a worker, um, given that sort of the, the resources we're getting from government and other agencies are, are all over the place. Yeah, that seems yeah. like such a <laughs> seems like a rough space to be having to like that's a much heavier lift than your average food and food and dining article when people are like, what what is safe? How do I know? Right, right. Well, let's just say that they are intensively reported, and there are a lot of uh, uncertainties built in and and admitted. So you know we've and we've and updates, I should say. So a good example would be, um, you know, my. My recipes editor, Ann Maloney, wrote the piece about grocery shopping. And, you know, when she first wrote it, their, really their recommendation, as we all remember, um, was that none of us needed to be wearing masks. Um, and I think in the first piece that she wrote about it, she included some reference to, you know, some experts say that, you know, if you want to, that you, that's not a bad idea, but that the government is not specifically recommending it. And then as that advice started changing, um, we kept updating the story. Um, but we are also depending, we're not depending solely on government recommendations. We're also talking to a lot of other um, public health experts and, and researchers. And it's, it's difficult, definitely. I mean, we haven't done too many of those stories, but probably, you know, 
I think we've done three or four of them um, and we've updated them. The one that Tim Carmen wrote about takeout was, um, you know, exhaustive. <laughs> Joe, I mean, other than obviously now, like um, there's a lot more working remote going on, um, but how much would you say your role as food editor has changed in response to the pandemic? Um, I don't think it's fundamentally changed. You know, I'm still really primarily um, responsible for all of the food coverage and the feature sections of the post. So that includes the certainly the marquee Wednesday print food section, but of course we publish stories every day. Um, that's overseeing voraciously. Then I mentioned the vertical that's aimed at, you know, less experienced cooks. Um, and there are stories that end up in the Friday weekend section and the Sunday magazine. You know, I supervise two critics. Um, you know, and none of that has changed, but certainly, you know, we've had to, we've had to pivot in all sorts of big and little ways in terms of how we do what we do. So, you know, we have um, a test kitchen and a photo studio at the post. And certainly when we all needed to go, you know, start working from home, we also couldn't use the test kitchen. And then pretty quickly we were in a lot of um, conversations with the higher ups at the post about um, the best way to handle um, an offsite shoot plan in a way that didn't um, put any of us at risk. So we still didn't want to have a lot of us, you know, together. Um, there was a worry about, you know, using a lot of freelance um, photographers and food stylists and having them in any kind of risky situation. Um, and, and that, you know, our strategy there morphed almost on a daily basis, <laughs> um, for a couple of weeks there. So it was very confusing. And so my role ended up certainly being a lot of, uh, crisis management, um, you know, helping the team figure out how to pivot, what we were going to do, how, and then certainly in directing the story, you know, the story was just big and, you know, the story that everyone was thinking about and talking about and just helping my staff make decisions about what to cover when and where to put our resources. I mean, honestly, it's a fairly small team and there's just far more stories than we're able to cover. Um, there's also other people in the post who are doing some great food coverage, like Laura Riley in the financial section, who's um, wonderful. And we coordinate a lot with her and work very closely with her. But a lot of this has been, you know, trying just to um, stay on top of it, but not burn everybody out. Um, so I wouldn't say the role has fundamentally changed, but certainly the uh, the stakes have changed and the pace has changed and uh, and the communication um, has changed as as everybody knows you know when you're working from home um, you're not with people and we're all doing our little zoom calls and our slack calls and all of that but there's so many things that you really miss in those kinds of situations when you're working with a team you know you don't get that just conversation that you strike up when you pass somebody's desk and decide just to say hi or to say oh that's a new dress you're wearing it it's cool and then it and then all of a sudden you start 
talking about what you made for dinner the day before, where you went out to eat or something that you saw on social media and you're just ranting maybe or complaining or laughing about something. And then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, you know what? This is totally a story. Like here, there's a story here. That kind of thing just really doesn't happen now. You know, all of our um, communication is really, unfortunately it's mostly planned out, you know, like you make appointments and you set up meetings. I mean, I'm trying to call people on Slack for like video calls on Slack without making appointments. That's been one of the things that I've been doing with my staff. I'm not sure how they feel about it, but I've been trying to get them kind of used to the idea that, you know, just the same way that I might just stroll past their desk and stop and chat with them about something that I want to try to keep some of that. Um, but that's been a big, that's been a big adjustment. So yeah, things are so different, but but um, I would say my job is just more intense. Yeah, that, that's like actually such a revelation. It, it wouldn't have occurred to me to call somebody on Zoom, but um, it's it's a little like nicer than the, the phone call, I think, in that there's like a little bit of a face to it. Um, right. But uh, it is it is strange to, to lose those drop-ins. Um, you know, in light of this going on for a really long time as it seems like it's going to. Um, do you think that you're feeling now kind of adjusted or, uh, you know, what, what does this look like as we move into fall for, um, you know, food, food writing in general? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, I think it's, it's so different for different people, you know, personally, I am an extrovert. So for me, I had a really tough time at the beginning. You know, I get my energy from being around other people. I like to make jokes, you know, I like to hear people laugh. I, I, you know, I cut up, I, um, you know, I'm the youngest of eight kids. So I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm, there's a little streak of narcissism, you know, definitely an extrovert. And, uh, and so for me, it was really tough after, particularly within the first couple of weeks. Um, You know, now I've settled down a lot more. I mean, my psyche is a lot calmer. I'm I'm loving, I have a huge garden um, and I'm loving being in my vegetable garden. And I mean, I say huge, I mean, it's huge for me. It's the biggest one I've ever had. Um, And I take a lot of solace in that and I'm um, certainly settled into more of a rhythm. And I feel like my staff has, has done the same each in their each in their own ways. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of checking in with people and checking in on people's mental state, um, that we're doing. Um, but in terms of where I think food writing might be going, um, it's interesting. I, I think that this, you know, the flexible recipe is going to be with us for a while and just, just the idea of being sensitive to the all sorts of restrictions that people might have. Um, I think that's going to be with us for a while. There's certainly going to be much more um, sensitivity to people's financial limitations um, for obvious reasons. Um, And I think that's really great in a way. I mean, I don't like that people are going to be suffering financially, but I think it's, I think it's really, 
You know, I think food writers can tend to get excited about specialty ingredients and really high quality products. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that I want us to, you know, not write about, um, you know, like humanely raised meat and, you know, sustainable agriculture, of course. Um, but I do think that it's really important for us to also realize you know, that not everybody can afford to buy and cook the kinds of food that we individually can or maybe find, you know, is a priority. So I think that's going to stay with us. Um, you know, what happens with the restaurant scene is going to be a story that we just continue to cover, I think, for a long time um, to come. Um, it's very, you know, it's it's just been devastating to see the effects on um, so many of these businesses that, you know, that that we have covered so much and that we love and that provide us with inspiration and, you know, ideas and also, of course, you know, comfort and community. Um, so, so we're going to, you know, I think the story is, is sad in a lot of ways. So that's going to take a toll on people. Um, there's certainly going to be bright spots, you know, as the, um, industry hopefully recovers and shifts and, um, figures out, you know, where we're going to go. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, positive stories to cover too, but, um, but all in all, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a sobering time um, for food coverage. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be important, um, but, but difficult. Yeah. Um, so, Joe, let's take a really quick break. And then when we come back, I definitely want to get into sort of where we're going next a little bit more. You've said many things that have, that have piqued my interest. So we'll be right back. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. Uh, we're here with our guest, Joe Yonan, who is the food editor at Washington Post, as well as the author of the new cookbook, Cool Beans. So... Joe, you were just talking a bit about kind of where where we might be going with food writing and home cooking and restaurants. Um, you said a couple of things that I thought were super interesting as it relates to, you know, maybe we focus a little bit less on specialty ingredients and what's like new and bright and shiny, both in cook, home cooking and restaurants. But you talked about, obviously, you have this book out about beans, which if you're cooking dried beans, can be, you know, a multi multiple hours type of meal. And then you mentioned stretching your yeast a bit further um, by doing long ferments to bake your bread. Mm -hmm. um, on that note, you know, I think that people are looking, like you said, for these adaptable, flexible recipes. But at the same time, we all might have a little bit more time at home to be able to do cook in a way that's a little bit... Um, not, not super high touch, but can it, we can, we can invest more time into it. So kind of pulling those threads together, what, what are you thinking as far as the way we're going to start cooking at home and thinking about food in a, in a slightly different way? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say, um, you know, one thing that's also become clear as we've talked to readers and as I've talked kind of to my own staff um, is that, you know, not everybody is in that situation of feeling like they have more time when they're at home. You know, I do a little bit because, you know, of course, I'm not making the commute. Um, but, but the story has been so intense, as I mentioned, that I'm also working really long hours, but I'm, I'm, but I'm particularly thinking about a couple of people on my staff who are mothers of toddlers. Um, and, (laughs) and they just, they have no time. Um, they have no time. Becky, who I mentioned, um, wrote a piece a couple weeks ago about how, you know, she just can't get it was a semi rant. It was it was basically about how she can't really get on board the sourdough train right now because she's trying to keep this actual human alive and can't imagine trying to keep you know a sourdough starter alive at the same time and that she's frantic and trying to you know work between uh, I'm sorry take care of her child between Zoom calls and uh, work during naps and things like that. So I just that just wanted to get that out of the way to say that. Um, I do think that people are in somewhat different situations, but, but, um, having said that there are a lot of people who are realizing for the first time, maybe that they either that they have more time, um, to maybe do something or like you said, maybe it's not high touch. Maybe they can put the beans on, right? Like in the morning and then, you know, an hour later they can, you know, just, take a break from their laptop and go turn them off, which is not something that we've been able to do before. Like that's the whole reason that the Crock-Pot got invented, right? Was so that you could put something in there and go to work and come back and check it. Well, now you can, you can have some pot kind of, you know, simmering away on the stove for a while or bread or bread rising or that kind of thing. I mean, I've been doing a lot of sourdough baking like so many other people have and it is great to be able to have a, you know, an excuse to get up for a minute and say, oh, well, you know, I got to fold the dough. I mean, it's time. you know. <laughs> um, so I do think that people are going to continue to be interested in um, maybe slightly longer recipes and recipes that might take a little more time, um, you know, I don't think that that necessarily means that they're going to that they want super complicated recipes. Um, but, but I do think that people, the other thing that I was going to say earlier, the other type of person I think is the one who's discovering that maybe that they, they forgot to learn how to cook (laughs) for lack of a better phrase, you know, here they are at home. They don't really want, you know, like they can't go to restaurants. They, um, can't afford to get takeout all the time right now. Um, and, and they're realizing that, oh, you know, I, I really should have paid a little bit more attention when my mother was trying to show me some things. Um, and so I do think that they're getting into it um, and that they're also thinking about things like gardening for the first time. Um, you know, you've seen this explosion of people doing this windowsill gardening, which is cute, <laughs> um, with the regrowing their scallions and their ginger and things like that, um, which are all things that, you know, frugal, uh, frugal-minded cooks have done over the decades. I have another person on my staff, Olga, who, um, you know, was born in Russia 
And, you know, she talks about her Russian grandmother teaching her all these kinds of things when she was growing up, you know, about um, reusing food and saving food and regrowing food. Um, so I do think there's going to continue to be an interest in that. But it is going to be interesting to see with all of this, you know, growing interest in things like long long um, time bread recipes like that take a few days with different rises and keeping your sourdough starter alive and that kind of thing. Is that just going to disappear when people go back to work? I mean, I don't know. I kind of don't think so. I, I'm sure a lot of people will stop doing it. But I think for some people, they're just they're going to get into it and they're going to realize how how satisfying it's going to be. And they're going to find some way to work it into their schedule again. I don't think everybody is going to go back to the same routine that they had before as soon as they can go back to work and stop work, stop working from home. Those of us who are lucky enough to have jobs, I think people's routines are going to be changed. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about how, for instance, one of the things that I really love about this time is that I'm making breakfast every morning now for myself. Now it's the same thing every morning. It's just this big, you know, I make this big batch of granola and I'm making yogurt again, which I used to do years ago. And I'm making applesauce and I just love this combo of, you know, really great granola, yogurt and applesauce, no other sweetener. (laughs) And I was just thinking recently, you know, when I go back to work, I'm going to go back to, you know, these weeks where three days a week I'm going to this little group fitness gym and twice a week I'm going to this morning yoga class. And I always take like a, you know, an energy bar with me so that I can just, I like to work out on an empty stomach and I like to eat my breakfast after, but I'm going to really miss that yogurt. So I'm already thinking, hmm, (laughs) maybe I'm going to work out in the afternoons or maybe I'm going to start packing my breakfast or maybe I'm going to, who knows what. Um, And I think that that's just one of, you know, a million little things that is going to be thrown up in the air again once you know, this is, this is over. And, and I, I think it's going to, I think it remains to be seen how our lives are really going to be once, once this, once the dust has settled. Joe, I want to say thank you for making me feel seen as I'm learning to keep a tiny human alive. Um, But I'm also (laughs) really, uh, I am a really serious cook and, um, you know, I, I even, when I'm commuting a lot, I do still love to cook. And so I'm now kind of in this place where I'm trying to squirrel away the time and figure out like when dinner time is, which is like sometime between five and 11 PM. Uh, <laughs> Cause I don't really know when my baby needs to go down, but like right. I'm figuring it out. But, um, I also find that I, I make food thinking I'm going to have enough for lunch the next day. And uh, as a nursing mom, I am so hungry. I eat the entire thing, like every time, every time. Ah, So uh, I want to know from your book, do you have some recipes that are sort of exciting ways to look at beans that I can put in my freezer or, um, you know, something that's like a good batch cooking project where I might have enough for the next day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so many. That's basically... Almost everything. <laughs> um, but but I'll give you a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, one is if you like veggie burgers, um, 
I have a couple of killers um, yes. in the book, and they freeze really well. Um, I'm particularly thinking of one that's mushrooms and beans, kidney beans, um, and you bake it, you bake the patties, and then you pan fry them to order. So if you were going to freeze them, you would bake. You, I still think that everyone should bake them first and then freeze them. And then you can just fry them off whenever you want. And that's a really great thing to have in your freezer. I've got some myself that I just started to defrost. Um, certainly, you know, the other great category of this um, kind of thing are soups and stews, which beans are such stars in, right? Um, I have a, a chili recipe that I just made again the other day, and it's, I call it a Texas bowl of red beans, which is a play on the name Texas bowl of red, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, chili con carne is the traditional Texas chili, no tomatoes, no beans, certainly, um, which I always used to abide by. And I would scold people, you know, for putting beans in their chili. That was before I became vegetarian and realized, oh my God. So this recipe is being, it's kidney beans again. Um, it's like three quarters kidney beans and one quarter black beans. And you puree uh, dried ancho chilies with water um, and other spices. And you cook the beans in that just the same way you would um, a chili con carne. Um, I do it in the, in the Instant Pot. And um, you can certainly do it on the stovetop. It takes four or five hours. Um, and you end up with this fantastic, you know, really deeply flavored dish that you can freeze. And you can certainly just eat it like that. Of course, I love lots of toppings on my, uh, my chili, like saltines or tortilla chips and avocado and tomato and scallions and sour cream. Um but this is, it also makes a really great uh, topping for like a roasted sweet potato or certainly tacos or um, tostadas, that kind of thing. Um, I also have a, there's a really phenomenal black bean puree in the book called uh, Salsa Madre, like because of the mm. chef that, that, um, that I worked with on it, um, he referred to it as a Mexican mother sauce. Um, so we called it Salsa Madre. And, uh, and it's phenomenal. It's packed with flavor. It's a really interesting technique. It's not difficult. And you can just use it for all sorts of things. You can thin it out to make a soup. You can, you know, spread it onto sopes, you know, which are little mm -hmm. fried masa boats, um, all sorts of things. It's really, really good. So, yeah, there's lots of possibilities like that. And that and that makes a big enough batch that I, have I a don't. Question. I mean, I don't. I don't mean to dare you, but I. <laughs> but I don't think you could eat the whole thing. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, that sounds so good. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm just curious. It seems like hungry, being becoming like a vegetarian has really defined your cooking <laughs> style and your career. You're not really um, helping, but you in are a lot hungry. of ways, it has. <laughs> you know, it's been a real success for you, but you know, more than a decade ago when you made that decision, I'm wondering how you factored your career into it and whether you were nervous to make that shift at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was, um, 
but I'm such a, you know, I, I, well, I felt strongly about it for myself. It felt really right for me. And then I, you know, I, I write from a place of, from, from my personal experience. So, and I write a column every week. So it's a short recipe column. Um, at the time I was writing about cooking for one, um, and, you know, it's just impossible for me to keep my my personal thinking about food out of the column. And so I knew that I wanted to write about it. Um, and there was a little bit of, of, I think, hesitation, just wondering how everybody was going to react to it. And so, of course, before I wrote about it, I was talking to different people about it. And I ended up um, including this in the piece. But you know, a lot of the reaction that I got reminded me about coming out the first time. So I referred to this as my second coming out. <laughs> um, and it's because a lot of people said things like, you know, where did we go wrong? And uh, maybe you maybe you just haven't met the right meat. <laughs> and maybe this is a phase. And, you know, have you eaten this? Have you eaten this? Have you eaten that? Have you done this? Um, and it really reminded me of the reactions that I got, you know, from my family when I told them that I was gay. So, which has been, God, you know, God, how long ago? 35 years. Um, so, and writing that, I think, really helped. Um, you know, I sort of, I put all of the arguments out there and shot them all down. So, certainly there were people who... I think were worried that I couldn't possibly edit the food coverage of a major newspaper if I wasn't an omnivore. And of course, to that, I responded with several things. But at the top of the list was, you know, I have people like I don't have to eat everything. I have people who eat everything. When I was travel editor, I assigned and edited stories about Timbuktu, but I'd never been there. Um, you know, I've been eating meat for decades. I, I was a former Kansas City Barbecue Society certified barbecue judge. I know meat. Um, and I didn't need to continue eating it to be able to assign stories that involved it. Um, I think people might have been worried that I was going to turn the section into some sort of um, vegetarian mouthpiece. But I proved them otherwise fairly quickly. Um, you know, and I think, I think it's helpful that I don't find meat theoretically, um, repulsive now factory farms meat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I probably do find, find that repulsive as do a lot of other people. Um, but the very idea of meat, like the side of a raw steak doesn't turn my stomach. Um, I just don't want to eat it. Um, so I think, proving to people that, you know, the section was still going to cover a wide variety of, of recipes and uh, points of view about food. Thank you. Well, I definitely um, appreciate that you know, the, perspective. There, really, and there was a little bit of criticism at the very beginning, but it really thankfully didn't last for media. very long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we're coming to the end of the show. And Joe, for some context, when we were doing happy hour in the studio, we would always play a little fun round of trivia for our guests. But 
because we have been presented a unique opportunity to not be in the same room as our guest, we've shifted that game into a 20 questions version of us trying to guess an item in your room that you're in. Oh, Um, cool. You're going to pick an item in your room that we can see. And we're going to use 20 questions and try to figure out what that item is. Um, last, Our last episode, we had Jake Cohen on. And it oh, was great. Yes. And it was actually, I think, the first time that we had won this game because he ended up picking <laughs> a Le Creuset Dutch oven. And oh, we he was in his kitchen. Or, we yeah. Right. Far too easy. Far too easy. <laughs> we're pretty familiar. <laughs> we were like, the Dutch oven. <laughs> I think we were hitting eight questions. That was that was good. We we our our this, confidence has been boosted. This is a good opportunity to plug that Jake is the host of a new show on HRN called The Feed Feed. Get it because he works at The Feed Feed. The Feed Feed, yeah. yeah. So, go <laughs> so Joe, when you're ready and you have your item in mind, you can let us know and we'll start guessing. Okay, go for it. All right, oh, just like that. <laughs> I'm keeping track of numbers of questions so someone kick it off. Is your item edible? No. There was a hesitation there. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic puts everything in perspective. <laughs> His item is a boot, and he's just like, ah. Is it an inanimate object? Um, Joe, are you in your kitchen? No. A plant or I a pest? This last time. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's true. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> what? Maybe what it wouldn't have gotten us any either way. <laughs> okay. uh, is a, a plant is borderline? I mean, is it Maybe. animate? All or, right. Let's not let's not okay, go down okay. that route. This is too philosophical. Focus up. <laughs> Is it decoration? Yes. Is it... Is it a light fixture of some kind? No. Is it on your wall? No. Ooh. Exciting. (laughs) (laughs) No. Hmm. Is it inside the confines of your living space? Yes. Hmm. This is tricky. Is it is it bigger than your head? <laughs> uh, no. We were Can saying. How many we questions were, are we at? It, it was that was hard for people to fathom. We, we, we have so many. Left. We have so many left. We have we're at nine questions. Okay. Wait. Sorry. And the, it was it was not bigger than your head, correct, Joe? Not right. Okay. okay. Smaller, we might say. Hmm. Did you get it? This is, you guys are going to be mad at me. Did, did, is this something <laughs> that you got while traveling? No. This is, hey, ten, we're at 10 questions, halfway there. I feel like we're not <laughs> making progress. <laughs> okay, it's a decoration. It's not a light fixture, and it's not on the floor or on the wall. <laughs> no. And it's smaller than Joe's head. Can someone recap what we know? <laughs> and he did not acquire it traveling. <laughs> <laughs> and 
but it's inanimate. Just to be clear, he's not decorating with living things. Not edible. <laughs> is it food related? Is it no? Or like a table, mm. like a coffee table? This Wait, is so hard. is it? Is it hanging from the ceiling? No. Wait, what? It's probably on a shelf, you guys. Oh, or a table. Oh. Mm. <laughs> mm. 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 <laughs> Should I say that someone was having a good thought there? Can I give you a hint? Yeah, that was my hint. That was my hint. Someone was having a good thought there. Oh, is it only for decoration? Is it a book? (laughs) No. Because the really clever marketer would have been like, "Oh, it's actually just a copy of Cool Beans." (laughs) 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 Buy yours today wherever you buy books. Just happen to have it. Okay, this is not a question. (laughs) This is more for the group of guessers. We think it could be like a vase or something like that. Fifteen questions. I feel like the table thing. Was was it's something decoration? <laughs> but that would be decoration, right? That's decoration. It is decoration. It is decoration. Mm-hmm. But it is decoration. Okay. <laughs> Come on, guys. We're on the same team here. Um, well, he really picked up on the table or the shelf or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and tell you, shelf. Okay. Oh, that was very yeah. generous. Since, Wait, since okay, you, guys need, you guys need some help, I'm worried about you now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, wait, is it, does, it, does it have a specific function? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like I answered that question before. Yeah, items that are decorative, their function is right. being yeah. decorative. Oh, so maybe being, don't even don't Joe, even you're being so question. nice. Strike that, strike <laughs> like, that from the record. Strike <laughs> that from the record. Oh, you are our like, most generous guest. <laughs> I mean, I, now I feel like I need to ask the group before I ask the question. Yeah, like, yeah. No. Is, it, is it a picture of something? Is, is that, that for me? Yeah, yeah for Joe. Joe. For me? Yeah. For Joe. Yeah, no, it is not. Yeah. It is not a picture. Of You're like, are you sure you want to ask that question? Think very hard about it. Okay, maybe we need to know the material of it. I was is thinking, it, like, maybe it's a it, clock or something. Is it glass? That's why I was asking about like function. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's not a question for Joe. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> no. Wait, can, can we also ask, like, are we allowed to ask? It has to be yes, no questions, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> if we could ask, like, what oh, is it made out of, we could just be like, what is it? <laughs> question. My what final is question. It, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many are we at, Kat? If we're not, it's we're on a shelf. We're really close. We're, we're, not, we're not there yet. We're close and so not. Yeah. Four to go. Yikes. Okay, w- yeah. recap. Recap. <sighs> It's on think a shelf. Of, can I? Yeah. Can I just say? Think of um, <laughs> think of decorative things on shelves. Oh, you're obviously doing that already. Uh, can I give you any other little hint? Let's see. I'm looking at my shelf, and I'm not really getting too far. Here, uh, I'm thinking it's not a book, but maybe it's like a book end. Is it a photograph? No, we already know. I already asked if it was a picture. 
Ah, okay, here's, really? here's my other here's my other hint. This might help. Okay, do you remember when? Okay, I hesitated when you asked me if it was edible, and Ooh. I hesitated when you asked. I hesitated. I'm not sure you picked up on it. I hesitated a little bit, although the answers or like flowers maybe de- definitive. But I hesitated for a second when you asked me if it was inanimate. So, like, no. it could be a house plant. Is it flowers? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who wants to do the honors Can there? We <laughs> Dylan, go. <laughs> I think we win. Yes. <gasps> okay, we can get a little more specific. You you can get a little more specific. <laughs> How many do we have left, Kat? Are they? T- oh, do we have two more? I think we were at eighteen or nineteen. Uh, okay. Well, we could ask. Like, are they fresh flowers? Yes. <gasps> oh, now who wants to guess what kind? Oh, you I was going to just say that you grow if them you just looked, you. I did grow them myself. Yes. Aww. Oh. I was to going to say that if you went to my Instagram, you could have gotten this. <laughs> <laughs> that was my hint that saved us last time. We failed to do our research. That's see, you know. Exactly. Wow. Well, uh, now I'm going. I'm going because I want to see the flowers. They're peonies. We always ask for a photo of the object <laughs> as our yeah, episode cool. photo. Yeah, we need we need we need a picture of them for the They're episode. Peonies, I'm sorry. They're peonies. They're my Yay. favorite. I know, mine too. Yeah. And yours bloomed already. I'm jealous of DC. Yeah, I've got like a second round. I can't even keep up with them, frankly. No way. Oh, I just yeah. Have little tiny buds. Oh my god, they're gorgeous. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Is there rosemary in there? No, it's it, it's curry. Oh, cool. Okay, um, so it's totally edible, and it looks like well, it's in there? it's not it's the curry is the curry plant that's not the edible one. Oh, really? Um, I mistakenly oh. bought it from a from a garden store. I don't know a couple years ago, um, thinking that it was curry leaf, and it's not. It's this plant called curry plant, and it has this amazing smell. And it's people use it a lot in potpourris and wreaths and stuff because of the smell, and it's gorgeous, and it looks kind of like a silvery rosemary. Ooh, um, yeah. And yeah, and that's uh, lemon balm. Um, oh, beautiful. Okay, so it's partially edible. Yeah, but I was thinking when you asked me about is it smaller than my head, I was thinking about one of the peonies. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah, that's kind of borderline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Wow. Well, they are gorgeous. Thanks. <laughs> Can we use that photo in our episode description? Sure. Yeah, sure. People need some flowers in their feet, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought too. Amazing. Oh, brighten up the day. Well, this I learned my lesson on the animate question. Yeah. I think we like barely got there, but we yeah. definitely did yeah. some, from some heavy hinting. Yeah, yeah. we had yeah. a lot of <laughs> cooperation. Yeah, we should stick with the lecrosse was more in our wheelhouse. <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joe, thank you so much for spending happy hour with us. Sure. It was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And very last question is where can people go to know what's the latest with Washington Post food and to read your latest writing? Oh, yeah. 
Well, um, they can go to um, voraciously.com. Um, and then I'm at, I make it so easy for people. My website is joeyonan.com. My Twitter's joeyonan. My Facebook is joeyonan. My Instagram is joeyonan. Perfect. Okay. Go follow Joe and he's going to, he's going to be your go-to resource for how to cook through quarantine because we're all going to make it through together. All right. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Matt. This has been a very fun HR and happy hour. Thank you, Kat. Cheers. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. See you next week. (laughs) Bye, y'all. HR and Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.